Anthony Samad is the executive director of the Mervyn Dimely African American Political and Economic Institute at Cal State Dominguez Hills. I know it's a mouthful. He's also a big sports fan. That's why he's our guest on this episode of This Lady Loves Sports. Let's go! Welcome to This Lady Loves Sports Podcast with Pat Prescott. Sports. She knows it all and is here to talk about it. So get ready to hear sports talk in a way that you've never heard before. It's This Lady Loves Sports Podcast. And here's your host, Pat Prescott. This is Pat Prescott for This Lady Loves Sports. And I have a special guest today, a good friend who is an activist, a scholar. He's also the author of A Thousand Times No to the Status Quo, which will tell you a lot about what his mindset is. He's also an avid sports fan. And my guest today on This Lady Loves Sports, welcome, Dr. Anthony Sabat. How you doing, Anthony? Good morning, Pat. I've been waiting for this. (laughs) Long time. Thank you very much for inviting me. Anthony is a fan of the podcast and, you know, uh, said to me, I I need to be on that thing. And I agree with that because I know you have a lot to say. Congratulations, I want to say first, uh, for your new position as executive director of the Mervyn Dimely African American Political and Economic Institute at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Thank you very much. It's been a fantastic first year. You know, I've been there 10 months now and uh, we're doing some exciting things. Yeah, you got a great new president over there, too. Oh, yes. Dr. Thomas Parham is someone I've known for a long, long time. He's a scholar activist, too. So now we have an activist president. I know that's right. I know that's right. And you guys both also have a great history, too, with the 100 black men. That's correct. correct. We were actually presidents at the same time. He was going out as I was coming in, and he was in Orange County, and I was in L.A. I have to get him in here sometimes, too. He's a, he's a really oh, big absolutely. sports fan as well. Absolutely. In fact, he's doing something on November the 7th. He's bringing Tommy Smith in. See, one of the yeah. things that I wanted to talk about today was this is the 50th anniversary of the Black Power salute at the Olympics. And, yeah, John and, Carlos is supposed to be coming by to do the podcast yeah. at some point in the yeah. near future. A lot so, to talk about there. And, and I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say okay. about activism in sports. But first, I want to talk about your own personal sports love story because I know you're a huge fan. My first love was baseball. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers, the home of the New York Giants. And so I always rooted for the Dodgers until they played the Giants because Willie Mays was my all-time <laughs> favorite player still Say today. Hey. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, Willie McCovey just died this week. God rest his soul. Yeah. But he was the first player I ever saw where teams put an infield shift on against Willie McCovey. And he still hit it out the infield. <laughs> and so, you know, we grew up playing baseball, little league baseball. I moved to Los Angeles when I was seven. And then, so when did the Dodgers move? How old were you uh, when they moved? I was born in '57. The Dodgers moved in '58. So you know? they came, they followed you. Well, no, we didn't move out here till '64. Oh, okay. So we Got lost it. the the Dodgers and the Giants in '58 and '59. But most of the folk in Brooklyn still rooted for them, even though they were in Los Angeles, because remember, they won the championship in 59. Exactly. You know, and so we just never quite got into the Yankees thing. But when we moved to Los Angeles, I still played the league baseball. And then I started to grow in junior high school. And then the Lakers got Wilt, because one of the first games that I ever went to, basketball games, um, my dad took me to see Wilt play the Knicks. And so I remember Wilt was in Philadelphia at that time. Uh, And then when the Lakers got Wilt in 68, 
I became a Laker fan for life. (laughs) (laughs) And I began to develop an interest in basketball and played high school basketball and college basketball at Cal State Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm still a basketball fanatic. I still have a basketball Jones, you know. Well, I tell you what, you got some things to be excited about here in Southern California sports and and not just basketball either. But let's start Uh with the basketball. What, What are your thoughts about LeBron and the Lakers? Well, I think it's a long-term play. I don't think it's a short-term fix. I was glad that he signed a four-year deal. You know, I felt all along that he was coming to Los Angeles, but folk folk were trying to deflect that. But I think what I see in the first six games is that the young guys are deferring to him too much. You know, they're, they're going into the fourth quarters with double-digit leads, and then they're losing, or they, like, won by one point the other night. And it reminds me of what they did with Kobe the last two years. You know, they just deferred to Kobe, you know. And so they have to get past standing around, you know, watching this superstardom and, and play with him. I mean, you could almost see him say, man, come on. Oh, let's play. They watching him. This is not television. You know? <laughs> and so uh, I think uh, I, I w- I'm not quite ready to say Showtime is back, but I think this is going to be a new iteration of Laker championship ball coming our way. Hey, well, they are leading the league right now in fast breaks and also points in the paint, which is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm seeing some some things out of JaVale McGee and and out of uh, Stevenson, he's not like trying to, you know, he's not trying to choke LeBron now. He's well, trying to... <laughs> well, <laughs> but you friend. need a player like that. You do. You know, he reminds me of kind of Dennis Rodman. He goes out and does his job, but he knows how to frustrate <laughs> the, the other players. He knows how to get in people's head. Uh-huh. You know, you need a player like that on your team. You do. A, you know, we haven't had one since Metal World Peace. That's <laughs> true. And he was definitely one of those guys. Rajah Bell, he was that kind of right. that kind of player also. they there have been a bunch of them. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of um Have you been watching this uh, basketball, a love story? I have. Whoa. What a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. 22 hours. Of, it's hard for me to, to get home by 5 o'clock, so I have to end up watching the late version and we, when they rerun it. But, uh, Don't but you I have love a DVR? It. Huh? You know, I'm... I'm an old school. Oh, you are you are ridiculous. <laughs> you're a real old school. No, you're a real old school. You no, you're a real old. <laughs> you're thinking old you know, right there. I'm, I'm just now I'm just now paying attention to demand. You know, my kids told me, you know, Dad, you know, you can watch this show any time of the week. I was trying to get home. I had a friend on Survivor pray. this year and I was trying to get home to watch they So you said, can see Dad. Natalie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can watch that anytime. You know that, right? Oh my God. <laughs> so listen know. to your children. Right. They right. are trying to help you that's right and in this instance they are correct so i guess you don't you're not somebody then who watches uh sports recorded uh no because you know i, I will anything. watch the repeats of the laker games uh-huh. you know if i don't get home in time or you know like you i have a busy social calendar so most of the time i'm at a dinner when mm-hmm. i'm supposed to be home watching which the is laker all game. the more reason why you need to start recording these things yeah yeah you know even if we're at home watching the game, we, we record it. We don't start watching it until it's been on at least 15 minutes yeah. so that we can fast forward through some of the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that, you know, it, it just loses something for me if I'm not watching it as it happens. And then, you know, I got that means I got to not 
not watch the news, so that's right. I can't find that's out right. who won. That means you and... need to put your phone down and stop paying attention to all that stuff <laughs> right. and make a game out of it. Uh-huh. That's what we do. Right. Let's see if we can get home without finding out no. what happened. <laughs> what happened, right. Because yeah. you're right. If you find out, it's a whole different thing. Unless you're team one, and then you're right. like, you okay, can't wait to, to it. watch it. Right, right. Or, or you some... see something on Sports Center, and you'd right. be like, okay, I need to go watch that. Something really big happens, like <laughs> right. Steph dropping 50 in the first two quarters or something right. like that. Right. Yeah, but uh, this is it's an interesting time in L.A. sports. I mean, I look at what's going on with football. Who would have thought that both of these teams moving here would actually be pretty doggone good? And then when you look at the Rams, wow. <laughs> All right, so I, I have some history with that. So I was a big Rams fan when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Because they were the L.A. team then. They were, they were the L.A. team. And I loved Eric Dickerson. Eric Dickerson is like my all-time favorite player, right? <laughs> even even when they moved to Anaheim, it didn't upset me as much as it upset me when they traded Eric Dickerson. When they traded Eric Dickerson, I stopped rooting for the Rams. Okay, You weren't the only one. And and even when they came back, I was like, nope. And then I saw, <laughs> I, I went to a Rams game last year, had great seats on the field. Eric Dickerson comes walking by, you know, but... But I had uh, a Seattle Seahawks hat on. He said, brother, because you, he said, brother, you got the wrong hat on. I said, no, I stopped rooting for the Rams because they what they did you. to you. He said, well, if I could get over it, you could get over it. I, t- I said, <laughs> OK, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. You know, but uh, this Ty Gurley reminds me of Eric Dickerson. You know, he, You're not the first person I've heard He's, he's a horse. He's a horse. You know, th- a thoroughbred. Yeah. yeah, but it's pretty amazing the difference that a coach can make. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think coaches get blamed for stuff that really is not their fault or and sometimes get credit for something that they really didn't do. Mm-hmm. But um, when you look at Sean McVay, I mean, a whole sea change happened when he came to the Rams. Well, I think it's uh, kind of a generational relationship. You know, it's almost like um, you saw this whole body of coaches, both in football and in basketball, who could not relate to the players anymore. And then all of a sudden you have all of these young coaches come through who could except John Gruden. I can't believe the way he, he the imploded the Raiders. Okay. <laughs> is that not boy, and I'm gonna tell you Raider Nation is pissed off. I, I know, I know. I'm part of that. I couldn't believe he gave up Khalil Mack. I, I like, can I can't believe anything he's done there. He right. looks so bumbling and inept and right. he was a guy who seemed like he knew so much. How many times do you think he's now like oh, I wish I was still doing T V? Well, <laughs> yeah, hundred million dollars to make you do a whole lot of That's things, true. okay? You and, got, and he but wasn't I don't making think, that on I don't TV. think he's gonna last ten years. I don't think so. I don't see how. Oh, yeah, yeah. You uh, know, he, the fans he, would like he to see can him go implode now. it and try to rebuild it, but he's not gonna get the same players as as you know. The Raiders got you know Amari Cooper, you know, and and what's the other wide receiver they traded? Who's now with the Ravens? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. They got these high picks because they went through a low period. Exactly. If they start winning, they're not going to get those kind of picks. And this yeah. is going to be a lower period than they had before <laughs> at the rate that they're going. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and how about those former San Diego Chargers? See, now I'm conflicted about the Chargers because <laughs> to me, I think that they're being punished for moving. So they're not drawing crowds. And I've only gone to one Chargers game, but there was more folk 
from the other team. Oh, no I went to see them against the Pittsburgh Steelers a year ago, and there was more Steelers fans. Well, you know yeah. the terrible towels travel right. they, all the time. But I just don't think they're going to make it in L.A. You know, I just think there's not enough of a Charger following. This is just my opinion. You know, I wanted the Raiders to come back, and the Raiders got them a deal in Vegas. So I think this is going to probably be a one-football town. If if the Rams keep doing what they're doing, I don't, I don't think the Chargers are going to survive here. Well, I tell you what, I got a lot of friends in San Diego who were mm-hmm. irate mm-hmm. about the Chargers moving here. But they, since they've been playing like they've been playing recently, they are all jumping back on the bandwagon because it was their team to start with, you know. Well, I think it was a bluff. Here's here's what I think the strategy from the Chargers were. They were trying to get a piece of this L.A. TV market so they can get larger TV money. Mm-hmm. I think that they used the L.A. move to leverage San Diego into building them a stadium. I think they pulled an Al Davis move. Okay, we'll come up here for a few minutes and let y'all think about it. And then you give us a new stadium. Because remember, the only reason that the Raiders left L.A. is because L.A. broke their promise to build them a stadium to, to renovate the Coliseum. And then Oakland promised them that if they came back, they would build a stadium. And they didn't. And so Al Davis won in court both against L.A., and one in court against Oakland because both of them broke promises. But I think Chargers are trying to kind of do that move. And I think that also the business and the political intrigue that surrounds this whole stadium complex is super interesting here in Southern California right now. Yeah, it's very (laughs) political. It's very political. Somebody (laughs) might lose a seat because of that. That's a whole nother conversation for another another episode. You're not kidding about that. But let's talk about the Dodgers. And I want I just want to bring up something that you mentioned a moment ago um, about with the Chargers, about having so many fans from the other team cheering. You know, uh, wow, in the World Series, was it just me or did the whole city of Boston move to L.A. for those games that we had here? Well, remember, there's a lot of Boston fans here undercover anyway and that's because, part of because it we too, used yeah. to see that at the Laker games yeah. remember that's true you know, same uh, thing with with New York I mean as much as as bad as the Knicks are right you know they still have fans that's right you know that's right who, and, and there, there's so many people here who are not from here in California because yeah, they get tired of cold weather <laughs> <laughs> they move to California hello you know? <laughs> but, guilty your honor <laughs> as charged <laughs> but you know I think that World Series I think that the Don Dodgers kind of gave that one away. I'll just say. Now, Houston beat them last year. Yes. You know, they, they just could not get around Houston. But this year, I think the manager overthought it a lot of times. You know, you, you can play the analytics. But sometimes, remember back in the day, you your would just go has, to the mile yeah, your gut and look the guy in the eye and say, mm-hmm. you got this, you're going to get out this situation, you know, and you that's that's why you pay them $10, 20000000 million a year. Let them pitch out of the situation. You don't take pitchers out when they're in a rhythm just because, you know, the analytics say lefty versus righty. I think, that, I think they're molly coddling these pitchers anyway. Yeah. I mean, pitchers yeah. used to just get in there and pitch. Now it's so, like, you know, how many, the pitch count and the, uh-huh. how, you know, last night and all this other stuff right right well i just i think the dodgers gave away at least two games just because they overthought it trying to anticipate 
the next move, take a picture out, put a picture in. I mean, I can see that, but I also saw something else, and that is that the Boston Red Sox are an awesome team. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of them this year because I'm a Yankee fan. Okay. And so I, and and actually, I don't really watch baseball too much till the end of the season because Uh it's just too many games. Right. Too too long. Too much spitting and signs and all that. You know, I'm like, what is with the spitting baseball? I would hate, I'd never want to go visit a dugout. Right, right. Yeah. Like, all in. Put on a hazmat suit before you go in there. But, you know, I, I did see them. Whenever I would see the, the Yankees and the Red Sox playing, that's like must-see TV for me. Right. So I got a chance to see them. But, boy, the way they dismantle those Astros uh-huh. had me worried, you yeah. know, when I saw that because I remember how good they were last year. And I think that there's, you know, just like in in all of sports, it's so much of it is in between the ears. Mm -hmm. You know, when you've got the talent and you've got a strategy and all that, the thing is so mental. I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine the stress and pressure these guys go through. Well, I think that the Dodgers were a better team this year than they were last year. That's true. Because even though they didn't have as good of a record as they had last year, they went through something. They they got to the edge. And so they went out and got a couple more pieces. They brought Matt Kemp back. They got, you know, they got a couple. I was happy to see him come back. Yeah, me too. I, I thought that would have been a nice reward, a nice return for him to come back. You know, uh, I mean, they had guys that, you know, they, they literally had 13 guys that they could rotate, you know, for eight positions. And so they essentially had a whole nother team on the bench. They did. It, it was just. Well, their bats went kind of silent for them. Well, not really, because they, they were in. They, they were in those games yeah. until the end of the game. They, and they, then they, they were lose it. they were ahead in three of the games. Mm-hmm. And then they gave. I had never seen a late inning team beat a late inning team. The Dodgers were a late <laughs> inning team That's this right. year. And then I saw the Boston Red Sox and and they get to the eighth and ninth inning and just score five runs. And, all and they of those, did that twice. All, all of those runs with two outs. I mean, right. I think they right. they it was his, it was history. They made yeah. history, right? For yeah. the number of runs that they had with two with two, two outs. outs. I just I which seen that. Just, just kills you. Right. <laughs> but there is no game as nerve-wracking and tension-filled as baseball. Yeah. Tennis comes close. Yeah. Tennis can get pretty yeah. nerve-wracking. Because it's, it's pitch by pitch or hit by uh-huh. hit. Yeah, you know. And to see, it's almost like who blinks first. Right, right. You know? Right. But uh, are you not going to say anything at all about Clayton Kershaw? Well, I will say this. I don't necessarily believe that he is a bad playoff pitcher. I believe the Dodgers wear him out during the season. And then by the time he gets to playoffs, he's just tired. You know, um, I think he is one of those pitchers who will have a career like Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax's career was only about 10 years, 10-year window, 12-year window. Uh, Sandy Koufax retired at 32 because he basically pitched himself out, you know. Uh, and at that time, they didn't have relief pitchers. You went nine, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they they pitch him seven innings. They expect to get seven out of him. In fact, he gets mad if you try to take the ball from him at seven because he wants to be – but I think he's yeah, – the Dodgers have overused him. Well, he, mm-hmm. we, you know, they would have never gotten – 
to mm-hmm. the postseason without him. Right. For sure. I agree but, with that. But his performance in the playoffs has been consistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't get it. I mean, why start him in the first game? Mm-hmm. Start him in that last game, that mo- that serious must-win game? Mm-hmm. Why put that pressure on him when you got a bullpen like they have? And, and they don't rest him enough. You know, they they try to give him five days rest, but then they get in a situation and they know, we, well, we got him over here and he said, I'll go in on three days rest. I think the Dodgers need another go-to pitcher. Now, they thought it was Dervish last year and he got rocked by Houston. He sure I think it just totally destroyed his confidence because <laughs> he didn't even do well with the Cubs this year. But Dodgers historically had always had two good pitchers in the rotation. Now, you came through this year, but, you know, we always had Koufax, Drysdale, Sutton, Osteen. We, all, we you know, even uh, uh, Fernando and or, uh, Hort, uh, Oral Hershiser. you know. Mm-hmm. We always had two where every other day we know we could get a win. You know, it's t- today, you know, it's, it's the horse and then – Cross your fingers until he pitches again in, in three or four days, you know. So uh, I, I think the Dodgers still need to shore up their pitcher. I think the same with uh, Kenley Jansen. I think they figured him out because he gave up two home runs exactly. in the World Series, you know, with the Dodgers up. And he's supposed to be the closer. But I think folk have figured him out. And so And over time that happens. And you know, yeah. anytime you look at a series, I mean, <laughs> these teams already know a lot about each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even have to play anybody now. You know, you there's so much film available and so mm-hmm. much analytics and all this right. other, you know, analysis to death about everything. Yeah. You know, but um I think that, you know, you do figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's a chess match. Right, right. A seven game series definitely is a chess match. Yeah. I also think baseball needs to consider reducing the number of games because it's a lot. They used to call it October, Mister. You know, Reggie Jackson was Mister October. It's November be, now, but, just about. Yeah, you're gonna be Mister November in a minute. I mean, be, they're still be, playing the regular season in October. Now. The World Series used to always be the first week of October. Okay, <laughs> but because they have dropped a couple of playoff series in there, you know, trying to milk the TV right. money and the TV revenue and all of that i think they either need to cut back to 154 games but the bottom line is they need to get the world series back to the first week in october because it's too doggone cold to play baseball <laughs> it is yeah You're so or, or they, or bundled they, up. they should outlaw places like boston right. and milwaukee and right. places like that having games right right that's <laughs> which, which, which when totally real no weather favorite. comes <laughs> is, is in october <laughs> in those cities you know so <laughs> definitely well i know that you're a social activist and i'm sure that you've got some thoughts about activism in sports we've seen um a lot about that actually in this basketball love story i I love some of the things i've seen about the basketball strike and Mm -hmm. and um uh, some of the other issues as well but certainly this national anthem controversy and all of the uh the talk that it has spawned has got to be something that you have opinions on i do first of all there's only two things in american society that brings folk together and that's music and sports okay Uh, That breaks down all barriers. 
And so when, you know, musicians, particularly jazz musicians, have always been countercultural. They've always been political. You know, the, the whole lexicon uh, was a rejection of, you know, suppressive society. Uh, they call each other man because... You know, they couldn't be called men in the larger society. They would be called boys. You know, they would play messages in their music, you know, whether it was Thelonious Monk or whether it was Coltrane or Bird. You know, countercultural music has always been a way in which we deliver a social message. Now, in terms of sports, because sports probably is the closest thing resembling slavery that we have in our society. You know, in which a player, uh, uh, one man can own another man and essentially dictate his life, you know, uh, for all of his life uh, or, or basically kill his livelihood because of the fact um, that they don't necessarily comply in a manner in which that owner expects that player. So so they expect you to forsake all of your human rights, all of your social rights, all of your political rights just to play a game. It's true. That they I, can monetize. Have you read Bill Roden's book? Yeah. Million Dollar yeah. Slave? Yeah. Me, uh, yeah. You know, it's like... Um, Free agency is kind of like the Emancipation Proclamation of sports. Right. And, you know, a lot of people don't like it, you know, because uh, we we remember the old days when if somebody was on your team, they were on your team for the whole time that they That's were playing. Right. There wasn't all this movement. But I will say that it's, it's, it's something that kind of at least moves towards leveling the playing field for mm -hmm. for the players versus management ownership mm -hmm. um, and that you should have the right to to go where you want and to get paid the, the highest dollar for your services everybody has the right to bargain for their services okay um, a lot of people going back to baseball a lot of people don't know why Jackie Robinson retired Jackie Robinson retired because the Dodgers traded him to the Giants and he said before I be a giant, I'll retire. <laughs> and that's what he did. A lot of people d don't understand what Kurt Flood's case was about. Kurt Flood refused to go to the team that St. Louis traded him to. He said, I have the right, you know, to say, no, I don't want to work there. You know, great documentary about that story, right. too. He I saw that in the Hall of Fame. Oh, oh, he should for, be. for a long time, you know, when I was writing my column, uh, I, wrote, I wrote a weekly column from 1991 to 2014. And Judy Pace and I got close because I was the first to take on uh, that campaign to get Kurt Flood in the Hall of Fame. And they're, they're still punishing him for that. You know, now free agency. You know, they punish him. Athletes celebrate him. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, here, here's an interesting thing. Um, when Kurt Flood died, his funeral was at First Amy Church. Not one modern day athlete came to his funeral. Talk to Judy Pace about it. Is that. this because we don't know our history? That's, Is it? That, that's because we're losing institutional memory. That's absolutely correct. You know, so these guys really don't understand uh, the shoulders in which they stand. I think that that's another reason why, you know, the the date uh, that the Olympic boycott was, was October 16th, 1968. There was hardly a mention of it when it occurred. 
I mean, I'm talking about the 50th anniversary, you know, so I think that that's one of the reasons why uh, our president, our new president at uh, California State University, Dominguez Hills, decided to bring Tommy Smith to the university to have that conversation. Uh, And in the backdrop of the Colin Kaepernick moment, we have to teach folk that this is not new. You know, we've seen this before. Okay. Um, We've seen uh, athletes take political positions. Muhammad Ali, at the time that he took his political position, was the most hated man in America. But then when the Supreme Court sided with him and he was able to push through that and reestablish his career, when he died, he was the most beloved athlete in the world the most famous name in the world, the most famous face in the world, okay? And, and, so, and, still re- and still remains that. Right. I mean, I heard a comedian the other day saying, you know, if you're about to get on a plane, don't ever say your name is Mohammed unless your last name is Ali. Ali right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, you know, one of the things that, that we see here is an intermix, an intersection of... of activism and capitalism okay it's real hard to feel sorry for Colin Kaepernick when he's making more money you know not Nike Nike is taking up his cause and that's good and Nike Nike's playing chess you know but he is being blackballed and oh, and the only reason that the NFL players took on the cause is not because of Colin Kaepernick it was because Donald Trump had the nerve at, at, at a public rally to say that all of those SOBs should be fired. Get them off the field. Now, oh, then at that point, you know, athletes said, well, you know. That's that, right. Laura Ingram says, shut up and dribble. And, <laughs> and LeBron says, what? Right. I don't think so, but I think that would be a good title for my next project. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, one of the things that I love about the young athletes is they have the platform. Social media is a platform for, for them to clap back immediately um, the, in the same way the president claps back immediately. But I think that we cannot lose sight of the real reason that Colin Kaepernick kneeled. That has been lost in the and discussion. Th- that, to me, is a problem with yeah. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, to me, you do something because you want to get a result. Mm-hmm. So what is the result that you want to get? I think that he started to bring attention to the issue mm-hmm. of, um, of of the murder of, of black, black men with males. impunity. That's right. that's I right. mean, we're seeing so much of it now, even on video. And I think that's the most frustrating thing of all, mm-hmm. that you can watch a video and still not understand why no one ever has to pay for these deaths Mm -hmm. and you know that was what it really was about but it it got lost in translation because i think we allowed it to be hijacked we allowed Mm -hmm. the message to be hijacked and turned into an anti-military anti-american flag thing which it really it's that's really not what this is about it's a peaceful respectful Mm -hmm. protest one of the things that the athletes have been successful in doing particularly folk like Richard Sherman, is there used to be this dumb jock mentality where folk did not think that athletes could articulate a view. And and really, the first, the first athlete that I really 
saw articulate political views were was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, and he has Brilliant. continued. He has continued to do that. His, his op-ed pieces are amazing. That, that's right. Mm. You know, athletes are entertainers. Just because I entertain you does not mean that you own me or control me or control my views. And the and these young athletes have been quite articulate in speaking them out. Very very rarely now do you see an athlete that is on these sports platforms, whether it's ESPN or Fox, that are not able to articulate their their issues with some depth. You know. And they don't use false analogies and they don't use miscomparisons. You know, when folk try to compare uh, Kaepernick, you know, to, you know, Muhammad Ali, they, they know the difference. They know that's a that's a false comparison, you know, and they're able to state that uh, and they're able to understand when they're being used the whole Jerry Jones thing where he kneels at, <laughs> at, at midfield with his players and then turns around and says, none of my players will <laughs> kneel during the game and then has his quarterback back him up. You know, that's kind of a plantation mentality. And that is kind of the hypocrisy that we've seen coming out of there, that's out right. of Dallas forever. So but that's, that's what new. happens when other people co-op your movement. Mm-hmm. See, the NFL was trying to co-op that movement. That's why they met with the players. That's why you have this thing going back and forth with Eric Reed. You know, exactly. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. because the players f- always felt that it was bigger than Kaepernick. And, you know, you have some players that felt, you know, we've allowed – Kaepernick to be scapegoated. If there is a comparative analogy in the activist movement, Kaepernick should be compared to Kurt Flood because Kurt Flood sacrificed his career and Kaepernick is sacrificing his. And the thing that's so sad about that is I'm a Giants fan. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) we need a quarterback. "Uh, I think there's a pretty doggone good one that's available, you know, and it's New York. Come on, y'all. If if New York Uh can't uh, sign this dude. Let me me just play devil. This is an opportunity about privilege too. That's this is, you know, they they want to give this cat a thousand chances. <laughs> Eli need to retire. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, and I love Eli. He's he's been great. He's he's done some good things. But as Charles Barkley famously has said, Father Time is undefeated. Right. But let me just play uh, devil's advocate real quickly as as we wrap up here, because you talked okay. about social activism meeting capitalism. Really, is kind of what this whole thing is about. On your job, if your boss is paying you a paycheck every week, can your boss really say, you know, Anthony, you can't go to the press and say things bad about the company? I mean, isn't this something that would happen anywhere in any other job? Well, let's talk about that. Because I've actually gotten put out of two newspapers criticizing the newspaper. (laughs) Because that's what you do. (laughs) You're your your own little Colin Kaepernick of of the press. (laughs) You know, I got put out of the Herald-Dispatch. John Holloman said, you will not criticize a certain politician in my paper and the moment i did it i was out and then i got put out of the scent though you know and, and you know for supporting a politician that the paper was endorsing against now those two are friends <laughs> you know, I, and like, you all can sit around and have a little laugh right, about it right. you know so i mean i have done that now in academia, faculty have what is called academic freedom, and we can articulate our view in any way, as long as it's true, 
you know, and not be punished for our views. You remember that was the that was the whole Angela Davis thing where on her exactly. first day, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan fired her because she was a communist and, and she ended up uh, suing and, and becoming a cause celebrate. Now, being director of the Daimler Institute, I'm considered administration. <laughs> now, I do, as a public intellectual, I can still articulate my view, I just have to say I am not speaking on part of the university yeah. on behalf of the university. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking as an author or as a commentator. But if I was not to make that distinction, you know, I I, I could be jammed up, you know, for <laughs> something that I said because you see it you see it <laughs> happening all over the country, you know, with college presidents being fired for taking a particular position or athletic directors. So it's a sticky situation. An employer can tell you if you are damaging a brand that you cannot do anything that reflects badly on the brand. And that's where I think a lot of the sports owners are going. Interesting thing, you know, and I think you'll appreciate that. Last year, every other day, we heard something from Lonzo Ball father. He has disappeared. You ain't he they has say, disappeared. They, they say if you cause us <laughs> to lose LeBron James, we will send your son to, <laughs> to Utah, Siberia. <laughs> uh, uh, well, Milwaukee. That's right. That's right. Well, no, no, Milwaukee's they, they okay. It, you know, and then they and then they taught him a lesson. You know, they 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 wouldn't even put that second son on the summer league team. They'd be like, "Oh, you, you think we playing? They're gonna send Lonzo to Sacramento. That's yeah. what they're gonna do." <laughs> That's right. Is it, we ain't playing with you. This is our brand here. But I noticed okay. he. I noticed Lonzo's playing better since mm-hmm. his dad's Man. not well, involved in to, it too. So. Because the Lakers are going to have to make a move in order to clear. Not just they got the cap space. They're going to have to clear some floor space. That's right. You know, to bring in an, another max tier player and somebody that can shoot. That's right. Somebody that can and shoot so, three. And they're going to give shoot. up two or three of those guys to get that person. So they know somebody's going to go. And then between this offseason and next offseason, they know yeah. somebody going to go. As so, interesting as last year's offseason was, this one promises to be fantastic. Right. And I'm going to have to get you to come back and talk to me about it, too. Oh, yeah. One, one last thing before you leave. Favorite sports memory for you? My favorite sports memory, in truth, was Barry Bonds hitting, uh, breaking uh, Mark McGuire's memory. The other greatest sports memory is watching Elgin Baylor the year that the Lakers lost to the Knicks. That was his last great playoff. You know, I think the next year he ended up getting hurt mm-hmm. and then retiring at the beginning of, of, of the following season. But, you know, watching those two things were great sports memories for me. I was at the game, Kobe's last game, the night he scored 60. But he <laughs> took 50 shots. Oh, you could score 60 if you took 50 <laughs> shots. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I love sports. I didn't say I play sports. <laughs> well, we will see what happens and certainly would love to have you come back and, and hang out with us again. Elgin Baylor and his beautiful wife, Elaine, were uh, my guests on the podcast. And okay. they were pretty amazing. And, and so are you, Dr. Anthony Samad. Well, thank you very much. Thank Ms. you so much. Pat Prescott, you were amazing also. <laughs> this lady loves sports and so does this guy. And we thank you for listening.